live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Welcome to the Friday night edition of the program, our telephone number. If you want to join our late-night national town hall conversation, feel free to do it. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And there's a bunch of things, uh, uh, headlines coming out of Capitol Hill, um, ranging from... Um, the Chicago mayor and city council are blocking a referendum. That's not Capitol Hill, but interesting story on the national front anyway. John Fetterman is outraged that the um, he himself is saying he's not a progressive, and uh, he's getting his uh, progressive friends very angry. Uh, then you've got uh, House Democrats now demanding answers from Secretary Mayorkas over denying border funding uh, for Arizona. So uh, how about that? He's making enemies on every side of the aisle. But the big story tonight has been um, my buddy from uh, WABC, Mayor Rudy Giuliani, America's mayor, who um, has been ordered to pay over $148 million to two Georgia election workers for defamation. And uh, Giuliani had a few things to say this afternoon. He made a statement um, uh, at a press conference. Listen to this. Obviously, possibly we'll move for a new trial. Certainly we'll appeal. The absurdity of the number merely underscores the absurdity of the entire proceeding. So now Giuliani, again, uh, former mayor of New York City, former uh, lawyer for uh, President Donald J. Trump, uh, had already been held liable for defaming two Georgia election workers before the civil trial began in D.C. federal court. Um, this is uh, now the, the outcome of, the, of that case. Giuliani made the defamatory statements, that is what they're alleging, about Ruby Freeman and Wandria Shea Moss as part of a series of claims that uh, Trump lost the election due to ballot fraud. Uh, this is they're saying that this information is false. Uh, they went on to um, to say that the uh, this case is separate from similar cases in Georgia. Now, Giuliani wasn't done there, right? Uh, America's mayor went on and he says he believes the case will be overturned. Listen to this. I am quite confident when this case gets before a fair tribunal, it'll be reversed so quickly. It'll make your head spin. So Giuliani's confident that this thing isn't going to stand up in court. And honestly, there's a lot of cases like that. We've seen the way that the um, radical left, in my opinion, uses lawfare to go after their political opponents, right? What was it that Rudy Giuliani really did, right? They're saying that he made stories up and he lied. He did this and he did that. Um, let us just suppose for a second that they're accurate. Let's just say 
How many lawyers are out there that are not lying on behalf of their clients to, to defend their clients? Are they going to jail? Are they being prosecuted like Giuliani is? No. Now, I'm not saying he did or he should have. I don't think he did. I think he comported himself uh, appropriately. I think this is all a sham. I think this is what they do when they want to come after you and they want to render you ineffective, right? They don't, they, they want Trump. He's got four felony, uh, I mean, four uh, indictments that are currently pending, 91 felony counts, two impeachments, and 400 years in jail, <laughs> right? And I'm not kidding, right? That's four 100-year sentences that they're um, looking for. Absolute absurdity. So when you go after the guy's lawyer, to me, it's just a little overkill. But Giuliani continued, and he says there are reasons he didn't take the stand. And uh, for most people, those are strategic reasons, and they make a lot of sense. Listen to this. If I made any mistake or did anything wrong, she was considering contempt. And this judge does have a reputation for putting people in jail. And I thought, honestly, it wouldn't do any good. Right. We remember we had him on this show right after he got locked up. Um, Peter Navarro, right? They put him in leg irons and shackles and waist chains and all sorts of things and threw him in the, um, the equivalent of the tombs and left him locked up. I remember when that happened. Absolute crazy. He said he would look outside his window and wave to the FBI guys. They were uh, staking him out. Crazy time. Absolute crazy time. So this is where, where we are, right? Giuliani says he's not taking the stand because it wouldn't do any good. I think he's right. They might try to put him in jail, right? Outside of a civil uh, case. This is what they want to do. They want to destroy people. Now, on the other side of things, I, I don't remember the last time a Republican was trying to destroy anybody. I'm just trying to make a juxtaposition, not necessarily say Republicans are morally superior. I'm just saying I just don't remember. But I'm sure it happens. You know, I tend to have selective memory. Um, let me see. What was the last case I think of uh, something like that? Was it Jack Abramoff? No. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I continue to think. Uh, let's see. Giuliani now says that that the claims about um, the plaintiffs uh, remain supportable. Listen to this. I have no doubt that my comments were made and they were supportable and are supportable today. Still. I just did not have an opportunity to present the evidence that we offered. Did you notice we were not allowed to put in one piece of evidence in defense? So Giuliani is being hamstrung in this. He's not allowed to present evidence that he'd like. This is the game they played all throughout 2020, saying, oh, the court has, you know, um, he, they've lost all these cases. The court wasn't even hearing these cases. So if you bring 50 cases and the court says we're not going to listen to 45 of them, um, and and f you can't go turning around and say, uh, oh, you know, the, the court, they've thrown out 45 of those cases. I mean, you could say that, but it wouldn't be responsible journalism. But that's what happened. A lot of people just uh, misunderstood what was going on because the courts refused to hear the cases. That doesn't equal a loss. That equals no hearing, in my opinion. Anyway, this um, $148 million, big figure, includes $75 million in punitive damages along with uh, awards of $20 million for each of the two election workers for their emotional distress and more than $16 million for each uh, for each of the uh, defamations. Uh, so I guess what how he defamed them. Uh, crazy. I mean, I think the whole thing is nuts, personally. Um, 
Some people say bad things about me all the time, and I'm not getting $20 million each time they say it, right? Not even 16. It's just crazy to me that that's going on. Anyway, um, some of the what's going on, I wanted to bring up something from before. Earlier in the week, I, I may have mentioned it on, I may not have, but there is a, uh, a story about kids in cages, and it's not the Trump story that you were told before. It's a whole different story, and we're going to get to it straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Well, thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, so listen to this. Yesterday, the producer sent me a story about these two scientists who work at the University of Florida, and they were arrested um, after allegedly putting their kids in cages. Why? So they could go to work. Listen to this. The pair is accused of keeping their small children inside small cages as they left for work. Now, even more upsetting, this couple actually worked for the University of Florida. Yuri Ji and Dustin Huff are the two facing child abuse and neglect charges. Gainesville police arresting the pair on Friday following a report that their six-year-old son told a teacher at his school he didn't want to go home because he didn't want his parents to put him in his cage. Fox 35 confirming with the university that Ji and Huff were full-time employees. They were placed on administrative leave on Monday. Gainesville Police Sergeant John Pandak explaining how harrowing this case really is. Not used to walking and seeing a cage where you know, children are kept at night and, of course, when home alone. So, yeah, it was a little shocking. You'd get emotional, let's say, but you've got to keep it in check, obviously, and be independent. But, yeah, having kids makes it a little more uh, uh, personal, maybe. Now, as for their two small children, aged six and two years old, first they were in protective custody on that first night, that Friday night that their parents were arrested, and now they are safe with vetted family members. So uh, that's uh, Kelsey Cairns with Fox 35 in Orlando uh, with that report. Now, this is uh, very interesting to me, right? So whenever they talk about kids in cages, they're usually talking about um, the cages that were built by the Obama administration and blaming them on Trump for his um, um, border policies. But ultimately, these are two scientists, right? Two scientists, not two people that don't speak English and, uh, you know, just came to the country and trying to make a buck. Not that that's okay, right, <laughs> to lock your kids in a cage, but two scientists. Well, I want to get to the bottom of this with uh, a friend of the program, uh, James Agrestes, the president of Just Facts, um, one of my favorite think tanks outside of Washington, D.C. Uh, Jim Agresti, welcome, sir. Rich, great to be back. Yes, sir. Um, well, let's talk about this, because this is uh, a disturbing but very interesting story um, from what I can see, right? You don't hear about people locking up their kids in cages every day. Uh, what's your initial reaction to this? Well, uh, you and I are both fathers, and yeah. we know the love of a father for a child. And quite frankly, it's detestable. It's sickening. It just churns your stomach to think that somebody could do that to anyone, much less their own child. 
A hundred percent. And again, uh, these people uh, in their 30s, Dustin Hoff, 35 years old, uh, Yuri Shi, 31 years old, uh, they said that they admitted uh, the couple allegedly showed the police the homemade cages as if it were all normal when police officers searched their property. And uh, you, you heard the, the police sergeant say, you know, I'm not used to walking in and seeing a cage where children are kept at night and, of course, went home alone. Uh, but that's exactly what it was. And th- these parents thought nothing of it. That's to me, is, is the most egregious part of the story, be- you know, in addition to the fact that they put kids in cages. Uh, Jim McGresty, in your time uh, on this green earth, uh, have you heard of something similar? Because I haven't. <laughs> you know, the, the thing that comes to mind, Rich, and it's not an exact similarity, but it, it's close, is the Holocaust. And what mm. the Nazis did to Jews and children. And you, you raise the point about these two parents being scientists. Some of the leading people who carried out the atrocities against the Jews under Nazi Germany were scientists. So it just goes to show the difference between intelligence and wisdom and morality. They're not the same thing. 100%. And, you know, you, I look at this, and, and I'm glad you made that, that, um, that parallel, because I'm still just looking at it. I'm, I'm looking at a mugshot of them, and I'm thinking, these people are scientists at a university. Like, what in their mind made them think that putting their kids in a cage was okay? Like, I'd love to hear the rationale. Like, well, it was like a more secure version of a playpen. Like, I, I'm just curious. Have you heard anything about that? <laughs> I haven't. My first guess is the university is put, was what put that in their mind. Because just that the amorality of today's universities and the warped uh, morals that they, that they push is, is, you know, it's, it's pervasive. We see it all over the news. We see it in polls. And these guys are a product of academia. And uh, they're just displaying, you know, what they've grown up around. That's, that's what they use of their compass. Such a sad thing. Now, Jim McGresty, in your, um, in your work at Just Facts, have you uh, come across anything even remotely similar to a story like this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there was a recent uh, episode of MSNBC's uh, flag, flagship uh, news show, Alex uh-huh. Wagner tonight, and they had as a guest uh, Quentin Folks, who is a uh, Biden campaign spokesman. And uh, Wagner teed him up by talking about uh, Trump's immigration policies, and then said to Folks, "Well, you know, Donald Trump, uh, he's like Hitler and Mussolini." And they were both in mm. concert. Yeah, yeah, he's like this. And one of the things they said was, "Well, he put kids in cages." So this is something that's been debunked for a long, long time, mm-hmm. and, and yet they're still pushing this thing, and obviously they're getting away with it because the people who are watching this show either don't know or don't care that that statement is a lie. Yeah, 100%, you're right. And, and, and that happens all the time, right? I mean, I, I think we see a lot of that where uh, it becomes a foregone conclusion, just like I think that there was one time early on when the fake news started putting out a, a pseudo-event, some fake news, and, and they got called out very quickly. And it was when Dan Rather was um, saying a bunch of things that weren't true about George W. Bush. And I think yeah, well, that, that quickly, quickly got turned around. But then uh, that was the last time we saw the media get corrected, right? Yeah, I mean, that was a very clear-cut case. 
where he basically took forged documents and he, he, he uh, sent them out to the public as if they were real. Now, here's the thing with this kids in cages story. The evidence is just as crystal clear. So when these pictures came out during the Trump administration, they were Associated Press pictures and, and liberals and Democrats were putting them all over the Web saying, look at Trump, look how inhumane this is. And uh, the Associated Press came out and said, hold on a second, raise hands. These are our pictures. And they're from the Obama administration. They're not from the Trump administration. And by the way, they're not cages. They're chain link fence holding cells where we have to put these children to detain them temporarily just to make sure they're not assaulted. You can't put them, you know, they're coming in by the thousands. You just can't shove them in a room uh, with no supervision. You have to keep an eye on them. Also, you have to be careful. A lot of these kids come over as sex traffic victims. So if somebody says they're my father, you can't leave the kid in a hotel room with whoever that person is. You have to monitor them properly. And that's all this is about. Obama built the cages. Obama used the cages. Trump used the cages. Biden used the cages. There's pictures of the children in these. I'm using the word cages facetiously. But the children in these the holding facilities during the Biden administration. Yet we have a, a Biden spokesman saying Trump's like Hitler and Mussolini for using these cages. And then he, you know, intones, that's not who we are. Unbelievable. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Wow. I mean, I think you're 100 percent right. Now, Jim McGresty, uh, I want you to stick with us because there's a few more things I want to talk about with you. Uh, uh, you, you had put out a couple of interesting tweets about this Freedom of Information Act request that unveiled a uh, 2017 border security audit by the Department of Homeland Security. And um, I want to get your take on what you found there in a moment. Before we uh, hit the break, I want to give everybody the phone number, uh, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDES is the phone number. Of course, uh, our guest is uh, James Agresti. He's the president of Just Facts. You can check them out at justfacts.com. Justfacts.com is the website or Real Just Facts if you want to catch them on social media. And uh, folks, stick around. Jim Agresti and I are coming right back. We're going to discuss more of some of the work they're doing at Just Facts. Straight ahead, don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen.
All right, America, welcome back, amigos. And I want to uh, continue our conversation with uh, James Agresti. He's the president of Just Facts, at Real Just Facts, on all of the social media. Check out their website, justfacts.com. And uh, Jim Agresti, you, uh, you've got some information uh, on your um, social media feeds about a Freedom of Information Act uh, request that just unveiled a 2017 border security audit by the Department of Homeland Security that found that physical barriers are the most effective and least expensive way to secure the border in all of the 25 areas that were assessed. Tell us about it. Sure. So there's a group called the Immigration Law Institute, and they filed this Freedom of Information Act request, and the Department of Homeland Security recently released this document. Now, this audit was done uh, during uh, the uh, Biden administration. Yes, early in the Biden administration. And uh, what they did is they looked at 25 areas along the U.S.-Mexico border that were the sites of high illegal activity, illegal cross-border activity, drug smuggling, immigrants, whatever it may be. And they took a, a hard look at these areas and they said, what's the best way we can control these areas? And universally, in every one of these areas, if you look at this, uh, this report, which I have linked on social media sites or on justfactsdaily.com, you can check it up as well. It's a very lengthy report. It's 100 plus pages. It looks at each one of these areas. It shows the attributes. And it says, basically, we need some sort of barrier. Now, sometimes they say we need a pedestrian barrier. Sometimes they say we need a vehicle barrier. But they're all physical barriers. And not only that, in each one of those cases, they said this is the cheapest and the best way to get the job done. Now, keep in mind, when this thing was released in 2017, uh, Biden had just canceled Trump's border wall, actually did that on his first day in office. And the literati and the newsmakers were all saying, you know, border walls, they're antiquated, they don't work, people can climb over them, they can burrow under them, and, and ergo, we're wasting our money and time with this. This is not the way to get the job done. While internally, the pros on the ground were saying, uh, yeah, this is the way to get the job done, and it took a Freedom of Information Act request and five, six years for us to find wow. that out. Unreal. Now, you would think that it's kind of a commonplace knowledge that uh, a physical barrier, a wall, um, a fence, whatever you want to call it, would be um, effective. Yet there's so much debate around the fact there, that people, um, critics mainly, will say, no, it doesn't work. There's no proof that walls work. It just isn't any. And they just fold their arms and, and pout. Uh, <laughs> Do you, have, a, have you seen that? And B, what do you think of it? I've seen it, and it's false. It's like the claim that there's no evidence Joe Biden did anything wrong. There is an enormous amount of evidence that border barriers work. Uh, we've compiled them from nations, from uh, a, a bunch of different nations. We've shown how illegal border crossings uh, drop when they're implemented. Now, there's a caveat in all this, and I'm always preaching this. Association doesn't prove causation. So just because they put in the border wall 
and then immigration dropped. Well, maybe there was another factor that stopped, caused immigration to drop. You know, maybe there was a recession. Maybe there was a pandemic. So you can never say with 100% certainty of proof that the walls worked. But we can say this. The evidence shows every time there's one put in, uh, illegal cross-border activity stops dramatically. Now, the opponents of walls and barriers will say, well, you know, people get through them. You know, they had a border barrier in, in Israel that was that was broken in by Hamas and they committed massive atrocities just recently. So, yeah, right. they, A chain link fi- fi- fence is not going to stop a military incursion. We all know that. Right. So you have to right. put in something that's appropriate to the task. But when you do that, it works. Folks, we're on with uh, James Agresti, president of Just Facts. And, uh, Jim, I want you to stick with us. I'm going to go over a couple of more things. But uh, it just amazes me that we are, we are where we are, that we've got all of this, um, you know, back and forth about, well, that doesn't work. It does work. And it, it, to me, it's, it, it's total nonsense, right? I think everybody and their mother knows that that works, right? <laughs> I mean, we wouldn't put them around our yards or anywhere else or government buildings uh, or in San Francisco or you name it, right? It just, it, it wouldn't be a thing, but it is a thing. And, and the fact that they, they, they just kind of um, so flippantly uh, make, you know, trivialize it to make it seem like it's ineffective is just, it's an insult of one's intelligence is what it is. And I can't believe they get away with it. Folks, make sure you check out uh, the uh, page, uh, JustFacts.com and their uh, companion page, Just Facts Daily, that has uh, daily little nuggets that you want to check out and sign up for their newsletter. And we're coming right back. We're going to continue our conversation on some of the news of the day. Not sure exactly which story we're going to do next. Uh, there's a couple that I've got in mind, but we're going to nail it down. And if you have a question for Jim Agresti from Just Facts, give us a call. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. Is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America at night with Rich Valdez. You, just to be clear, you are saying because you think he's unelectable, you believe he's a threat to That's democracy. I mean. So you're ultimately still calling him a threat to democracy. I, I will say those who are propagating this delusion that he will beat Donald Trump, they collectively are a threat to democracy. I'm just going to call it like I see it. And that's what the country is saying in every single poll. And if we don't wake up soon, Kristen, we're going to be in for a tragedy. And this time we know it. 2016, we couldn't believe it. This time we better believe it. And that's the truth. I just want to make it clear. He is not a threat. He's a good man and someone I respect. But this delusion that he can win is a threat to democracy. Yes. That, folks, is uh, Congressman Dean Phillips. He was on MSNBC yesterday. And he says that the delusion that Biden can win is the threat to democracy. 
and that's why he's running against uh, Joe L. Baboso Biden in uh, the 2020 race. Although most people don't hear anything about Dean Cain. Um, maybe it's too early in the game or maybe he's just a little lackluster right now. But he is the um, the one challenger that that Joe Biden has from the Democrats in a uh, in a primary, if you will. And uh, interesting, right? Interesting to see. I want to bring back in uh, James Agresti. So, Jim, you, you heard this audio from from Dean Phillips. He says that Biden, uh, people thinking that he could win is the real threat to democracy, while others think it's his um, the uh, fact that there's a lot of believable alleged criminality that might tank his entire administration. What say you? Well, the polls are definitely not favorable towards Biden at this point. But we have to remember during the last midterm elections that the polls were looking much better for Republicans than they turned out to be in the elections. So they're all pretty much within the margin of error. And I would not say anything with certainty as to who's electable and unelectable. A simple stupid remark or a simple excellent remark can easily switch the momentum in this race in the in the blink of an eye because the fact of the matter rich and, and you know this is that the elections are determined by the mushy middle in this society sure. so the people on the left and the right we know who they're going to vote for it's these people in the middle that are kind of only interested on the fringes that you just have this viral moment and all of a sudden they're like that's my guy or i yeah, hate that exactly. guy unbelievable I mean, I, I think the whole thing is just uh, it, it's crazy talk. Now, you've got a, a good piece on the hard evidence that is warranting the impeachment of Joe Biden. We had a couple of days ago the um, official um, vote to introduce or to commence a, a formal impeachment inquiry into President Biden. And that seems to be in full swing in the Capitol today members that uh, have been, you know, on Twitter and here and there, whatever. Uh, everybody seems to be in the throes of it. Those that are, you know, that are commenting on it. I know a lot of people are going home for Christmas and whatnot. So um, you've got a piece on Just Facts daily. And I want you to walk us through it a little bit because I think it's really interesting how you outline the um, the hard evidence. Sure. So as, as you mentioned, there is a chorus of people saying right now, there's no evidence Joe Biden did anything wrong, nothing impeachable. He's only guilty of loving his son, right? Yeah. What we've done here is systematically document uh, emails, texts, firsthand witness testimony, uh, bank records, and a massive array of concrete evidence that, that shows Joe Biden participated in his son's illicit business deals, he bribed foreign officials and he obstructed justice at a bare minimum. There may be other crimes uh, linked in with this as well. But some of this stuff uh, is very simple. I'll mention something for, for an example to start. Sure. And then we'll get into some things that are a little more complex because some of this boils down to money laundering. And they do this thing in deliberately complex ways so that people, particularly law enforcement officials, won't find out, much less the average you know, person who just watches the evening moves for, for 30 minutes a night. 
So here's a real simple one. Mm-hmm. So Joe Biden claimed at least eight times that he had nothing to do with his son Hunter's business deals. He said he never spoke to Hunter about him. He never spoke to his brother about him, who was also wrapped up in the deals. And, and um, so here's a, a WhatsApp message uncovered by investigators. It was turned over by one of Biden's business partners from May of 2017. And two of Hunter's business partners are exchanging messages about the Biden family's involvement in their dealings. And one of the partners writes to the other, don't mention Joe being involved. It's only when you are face to face. I know you know that, but they are paranoid. Absolutely crazy. Uh, I think that this will have a similar outcome to Trump. If they do do it, they'll they'll have the votes to to, you know, get the impeachment going in the House of Representatives. But I don't think anything happens in the Senate. What's your thought? Yeah, I think that's a foregone conclusion. We saw that with the Clinton impeachment, where the evidence against him was undeniable. When you have a dress with a semen stain on it, we know for certain he perjured himself during that sexual harassment lawsuit. They try to make it out like it's a personal thing. It's not. Lying in a sexual harassment uh, lawsuit is a crime. So is obstructing justice, and he did both of those. Okay, so I don't think the Democrats are going to vote to convict Biden no matter what. But the point is this. It will bring public attention to the matter. It will give the House uh, more authority to issue subpoenas and bring in witnesses and bring in documents. And it may damage Biden politically. But not only that, it's just there's a constitutional responsibility, regardless of what the outcomes are for People who swear to uphold that Constitution to do that to the best of their ability. Unbelievable. Folks, we're on with Jim Agresti, president of Just Facts. Now, Jim, for people who want to keep up to speed with everything that you're doing, if they want to follow your your daily uh, tidbits that you put out on Just Facts Daily, where do they go? Uh, So the best way to do that is to visit our website, uh, justfactsdaily.com. And there, there's an opportunity to sign up for our emails. We send out about one email a week. We won't inundate you. We won't sell your email to anyone. We're really uh, careful about that. And we just keep people up to date or just drop by our website once a day. And typically, we're posting a couple of facts a day. It's not a news site. It's a place where we publish serious research about issues that impact you. Amen to that, brother. And I want to make sure everybody goes and follows you at Real Just Facts, at Real Just Facts on all of the social media. Check out their main website, JustFacts.com, or check out the daily, um, JustFactsDaily.com if you want their uh, daily insights. And, of course, sign up for the newsletter. I, I, I did it years ago, and I love it when uh, I get new stuff. Um, honestly, it's very, very helpful for preparing the show and just, you know, Getting that, um, like uh, Jim said, that primary source data, the, the, the hard facts, uh, without the opinion, without the fluff, just the real deal. Uh, Jim McGresty, I want to thank you for being with us tonight. I appreciate it. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving, and I wish you an even uh, better Christmas. Richie, it's always a pleasure and an honor to be on with you. You're a consummate professional and a gentleman. The conversations are always substantive, and I uh, genuinely appreciate you having me on. Merry Christmas to you and yours as well. Amen to that, brother. All right, folks, we uh, will continue. Uh, There's um, a former chief of staff in the Department of Homeland Security 
who says Trump is going to turn off the Internet and lock up all his political opponents if he gets elected. We can't elect Trump. No way. No how. Anyway, we'll talk about that straight ahead. Don't move a muscle. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. at night with Rich Valdez. All right. So I mentioned that we were going to talk about this. Uh, you've got Miles Taylor. He is a former chief of staff at the Department of Homeland Security. And he was on with um, our favorite former White House press secretary. And I say that um, loosely. Jen Percircle back Pasaki. She's got her own show on MSNBC, and Miles Taylor is on the show with her, and he says that, listen, Trump is a menace. This guy could turn off the Internet and deploy the military on U.S. soil to go after his political opponents. Listen to this. There's something in the White House called the Doomsday Book. And for the first time, DHS gave authorization for me to mention this publicly. Uh, and the fact that there are concerns that that book, which is supposed to be used to protect the country in instances of armed foreign invasion or rebellion, it's the president's most extraordinary powers could be picked up by Trump and used for domestic political purposes. He could invoke powers we've never heard a president of the United States invoke, potentially to shut down companies or turn off the Internet or deploy the U.S. military on U.S. soil. Uh, we don't know because, you know, the things that are in there, the emergency powers of the president aren't widely known to the American people. So that's a big worry for people like me and others about what he could do. But that weaponization of the government could extend across the interagency to places where we haven't seen it before. The Department of Education, the Department of Veterans Affairs, ways to wield that power and those budgets to help his allies and to hurt his enemies. And to be clear, those aren't just elites. To Donald Trump, his enemies include people who live in blue states. I remember him not wanting to deliver emergency aid to blue states because yeah. he didn't like them. You know, what's funny, Mr. Taylor, is let me ask you this. Who was it that said, I want a list of the people that interacted with a certain political figure? Was it uh, Donald Trump trying to find out anybody who's retweeted Joe Biden? Nope, eh, absolutely not. It was Jack Smith working for uh, Joe El Baboso Biden that said he wanted a list of every single Twitter user that interacted with uh, Donald Trump. Isn't that something? They've been coming after the Trump people left, right and center since the beginning of his campaign. And you expect me to believe that it is Trump that's going to weaponize the government? Come on. I think so many Americans, um, and I'm not calling for this, but I, I, I'm pretty certain there are many Americans out there that would love to see Trump turn off the Internet, use the military to round up the bad guys, put them in jail where they belong. Come on. It's like a dream come true for both the conspiracy theorists and those that just love this country. Uh, while it's outside of the Constitution, you know, a brother could dream, right? Anyway, 
We continue our conversation straight ahead with our number two, Don't Go Anywhere. I am Rich Valdez. This is America at Night, and we're coming right back. Don't move a muscle. that never sleeps 17 miles from madison square garden new york city it's america at night with rich valdez america's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across america and now here is your host rich valdez Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Welcome to our number two of the program, Friday Night Edition, and our phone number, 833-482-5337, 833-4VALDEZ is the phone number if you want to join our late-night national town hall conversation. I encourage you to do that. And a couple of uh, things that are coming out of um, the... um, the transom, if you will, on what's going on with the war in Israel. A few things I want to talk about. You've got uh, the IDF making a comment today about hostages. Uh, You've got Jake Sullivan, our national security advisor. Um, He's saying, look, we're not here to tell anybody that you must do X or you must do Y. Well, I think that's exactly what you should be doing, sir. (laughs) Right? We should have been doing that with Putin and with um, Zelensky and, you know, everybody in that region showing leadership, I believe is what they call it. Right? When my kid was little, she had a T-shirt or a onesie, and it said, I'm not bossy, I just have leadership skills. Right? So if a little girl can have that, surely we can get something like that, a little onesie for Joe El Baboso Biden. That would be great to have. But uh, Jonathan uh, Conricus, he's the IDF spokesman. Uh, Forgive me, folks. It's Friday, and uh, I'm a little fried today. But um, he's on on CNN earlier today, and he says that there there have been um, some killings. He's discussing uh, the IDF mistakenly killing three hostages in Gaza while many Hamas combatants are dressed in civilian clothes. So um, listen to Jonathan Conricus. A very sad and tragic event, one that the IDF, of course, terribly regrets and has told that to the families. We are investigating how it happened. One of the contributing factors are obviously related to the fact, or can obviously be related to the fact that uh, so far what we have encountered on the battlefield are many Hamas combatants that have been dressed in civilian clothes. Uh, And I'm quite sure that that has been part of uh, the issue here, but it's still very early to understand and to say uh, certain things. Uh, What we can say and confirm is what we have uh, issued officially, a very sad event, tragic event. It, of course, goes against everything that what we have been trying to do for the last uh, two months, more than two months. It's day 70 of the fighting 
but even a sad event like this will not shake our resolve and it will not divert us from the focus, which is clear, to dismantle Hamas. So they want to dismantle Hamas unless I say Godspeed to you. Uh, we, I think we'd all like to see that. But this war is proving a lot more difficult than I think anybody thought it would be. Um, lots of civilians around there, lots of, uh, now you got hostages that are being killed, um, by friendlies. It's, uh, a real challenge, right? Not easy in the least. Uh, now Jake Sullivan, our national security advisor, he's at a press conference today in Jerusalem and he says, look, we're not here to tell anybody what to do. I say, Jake, you got to tell everybody what to do, right? This is just how it is when you're the United States. Listen to this. We're not here to tell anybody, you must do X, you must do Y. We're here to say, this is our perspective as your partner, as your friend. This is what we believe is the best way to achieve both your tactical and strategic goals. And then second, it has to take place in private because we can't telegraph for the enemy what the plan is. So I'm not going to speak to timelines and I'm not going to speak to conditions here from the podium. What I am going to say is that we had a very constructive conversation yesterday about the transition from the high intensity phase forward. And we expect that that will occur in the future. When exactly that happens and under exact, exactly what conditions will be a continuing intensive discussion between the United States and Israel. And I will make sure that that conversation, at least as far as I can do it, uh, is going to stay, uh, is going to take place behind closed doors. Now, Jake Sullivan, uh, he was being held to task with reporters asking him a number of questions and one of the questions that they're saying to him is, listen, uh, what is this, a contradiction? You're saying the war is going to take many months. Then you're going to say, uh, we, you know, we're going to address this right away. Well, he wanted to clarify what was going on for the record uh, at this press conference in Jerusalem um, where he says, look, there's no contradiction between saying the fight is going to take months and also saying that different phases will take place at different times. Check this one out. First, um, as I said uh, in a TV interview last night, what I heard Minister Galan to say was that the fight against Hamas is going to take months. And of course, we agree with that. This fight against Hamas, a deeply intent, entrenched terrorist group in Gaza, is going to take time and it's going to happen in phases. And we've said that from the beginning. And so there's no contradiction between saying the fight is going to take months and also saying that um, different phases will take place at different times over those months, including the transition from the high intensity operations to more targeted operations. We had a very good discussion about how that transition will occur and under what conditions and on what timeline. And we will continue that conversation. All right. You can continue that conversation. I, what I, I want to get to the meat and potatoes of it. I want to hear Jake Sullivan uh, tell us um, how he's going to clean up Biden's comments saying Netanyahu has to change, right? Because that's really where all this comes from, right? Uh, Biden says that he's got to change, and then Jake Sullivan, you know, kind of clears it up for everybody. No, 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 no. Yeah, I'm the cleanup man. I'm the cleanup hitter. He, uh, no, no, no. He didn't say any of that. Trust me. Here, he said this, um, and uh, that's exactly what Sullivan was doing, saying that, um, you know, Biden, we weren't understanding Biden the right way. Check this out. The president of the United States again spoke uh, at a campaign reception and he said this about Netanyahu. He said he's a good friend, but I think he has to change. And with this government, this government in Israel is making it very difficult for him to move. Does the president think that Israel should change its government? Well, the president was speaking, if you look at the entire context of his remarks, explaining to a group of his supporters how, how he, he sees things generally mm -hmm. uh, unfolding in Israel. 
he's going to let the Israeli people decide for themselves what their government looks like and what their elections look like. As a very seasoned politician, he believes in democracy and he believes that the citizens of a country should choose their own government mm. and uh, would not have it any other way. Now, calling Joe Biden very seasoned is uh, a euphemism for old as dirt, oldest president ever. Anyway, um, yeah, I think Joe El Baboso Biden has passed his prime. He's definitely messed this thing up. And you've got Sullivan out there trying to do a cleanup in aisle 12. I don't think anybody's falling for it, but that's exactly where we are. And uh, we're going to continue with uh, our discussion on the war in Israel with Hamas, plus your calls, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back, familia. We continue with the show, amigos. Our phone number, 833-4-VALDEZ. Let's see. Where do I want to go here? Um, let's go to Ken, Lansing, Michigan, W-I-L-S. Ken, go right ahead. Hey, Rich. How are we doing tonight, buddy? Great, great show as always. I love it. Oh, thank you. The truth the truth, come, the truth comes out on this show. Amen and, to you're that. You're much appreciated, my friend. Thank you're you, sir. You're much appreciated. But, uh, this, uh, this clown we got in the White House is just, such a bumbling fool. The, he's trying to bribe us to put uh, money into Ukraine, which is like throwing it down the drain as far as I'm concerned, and he won't put another penny towards the southern border. And yet I hear on your show on uh, Fox News tonight that uh, Border Patrol has caught drug cartel guys with improvised explosives and AK-47s. And the gangs are fighting. The cartels are literally fighting over a spot where the wall wasn't built, so there's a gap in the wall, and the cartels are fighting over that spot to bring their dope and their human traffic to. And what in the hell am I missing, Rich? If we know that and it's on our national news, why isn't there 2,000 National Guard down there watching that spot? You know, listen, Ken, I- I'm with you. That news broke this afternoon, and, and all I-, I could think of was, holy crap, like we're in, we're in bad shape. And that wasn't the only story um, with bombs. It was just one of those that I felt was um, uh, just, uh, it's, I guess the word I'm looking for here is, you said a couple of things, right? And and to me, they're all related. Uh, You've got sending money to Ukraine. I support Ukraine. I think Ukraine needs to be free. uh, We made a commitment to them with the um, 
the memorandum of understanding that we had signed with them, uh, the Budapest memorandum, and we disarmed them, and now they're sitting ducks. I get it. Understood. We have to protect uh, Ukraine. However, I think to the tune of $200 billion, which is what we're on track for, um, no, no, not, not at all. No, senor. I don't think we can do that anymore. Uh, I think we have to provide whatever support we can, maybe provide some loans, but we're definitely not going to provide um, unending amounts of cash, right? That's not something that we can do because, I mean, come on, uh, you just can't do that, right? Now, you mentioned these IEDs at the border. This is a, a, a big deal, right? Because I started off my day scrolling through uh, my social media and I see a report, it's a video, of some sort of parliament session, some sort of government meeting in Ukraine. There's a guy against the wall. I don't know. He looks like a a big guy, real big guy. Uh, Maybe he's a security guard, maybe something else. Out of nowhere, the the politicians and the crowd, you know, the public, they're having like a, a discussion. And the guy on the wall says a couple of words at one point, and he just pulls a grenade out of his pocket. Then he pulls another one. He pulls the clip on both, and he just tosses them at people nonchalantly right in front of him. Three of these grenades go off. He stays standing there. Everybody gets shaken up and blown up as these things go off. And I don't know what he said. All I know is things are nuts in Ukraine, right? This guy apparently was Ukrainian. I I think he was who he was mad at, what he was mad at. I don't know. I just know that. They're bombing their own meetings, right? The politicians are, are, are bombing themselves. It was just crazy to see that. Then uh, around 2 or 3 in the afternoon, I see this report that there are IEDs and explosives coming across the border. and It's a war zone. Like It used to be a figurative war zone. Now it's a real-life war zone with bombs going off at our southern border. Does this not wake anybody up? The fact that we've got, I think, 50 or 60 now, close to 60, if not surpassing 60, uh, attacks on U.S. military members at different installations across the country. I mean, come on. I think we're in really bad shape here. Really bad shape. Uh, seems like there's a war afoot. We're right in the middle of it. And Joe L. Baboso Biden is bumbling his way around, not saying anything about it. So, Ken, I'm with you. I couldn't agree with you anymore. Uh, Thanks for your kind words about the show. I appreciate it. We have no show without great guys like you that listen in, the men and women that make up the audience of this program, so I'm grateful for each of you. But um, we're in rough shape right now. doesn't mean we stay in rough shape, but it means we are in rough shape right now, and we've got to tighten it up. We've got to pull it in and do better. Anyway, Ken, thank you for your call. I appreciate it. Let me see. There was another one I wanted to go to here. Um, let's go to, uh, Boise, Idaho. Check out our buddy, Paulie. Go right ahead. Thanks for taking my call, Rich. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I, I think from day one, when the attacks occurred, when Hamas did their evil doing deeds, they had one thing really in, in mind, and that was to take as many hostages from the start as they could. And they weren't, they weren't going to keep them in Israel. I think that they... They have that unholy alliance with Hezbollah, and I think they moved the majority of them to Hezbollah, and I think they're still residing there, and that's why they can't find the ones that we need to find, the missing ones. Now, you, where do you think they moved them is, to, uh, like outside of Gaza? 
Yeah, Hezbollah territory, which is Lebanon. Like in Egypt, Lebanon? Okay. Yeah, yeah. And the reason why I say that is because they hate the Israelis just about as much as Hamas does. So why why not be in cahoots with them and do that for them? And, of course, they could get some of the money that they'd get from... Uh, paying for the host- for us paying for the hostages, for the Israelis paying for the hostages. And, right. you know, from the very start, I also thought that the combatants in Hamas that were running, like schoolgirls when they're being chased, they were wearing the women's dress, their, their clothing that they wear, the women do. Right. That, that cover the Yeah, they're face. dressed as civilians. They're dressed as women. Some of them are um, suicide bombers with... Uh, vests or or explosives in the baby carriage and uh, trying to get close to the target so they could blow you up into little pieces kind of like the video i saw this morning but this guy was a clean-cut guy it looked like a like a retired soldier or something he just was a big dude thought he was like a security guard or a politician and next thing you know he just starts dropping these grenades and very nonchalant he didn't scream anything he just said yeah you know because you know blah 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 boom here's one hip here's two boom 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 they start going off 26 people injured one person died from three grenades in a room that looked very very small I'm thinking what kind of grenades are these people using because they're clearly not getting people i mean i don't want people to be dead i'm glad there was only um you know um, one fatality and and 26 injuries it could have been a lot worse and i would have expected it to be a lot worse i didn't want it to be worse i'm glad it didn't get that bad but it just makes me think, you know, this is a very brutal and primitive um, warfare that we see going on. And what we need, I think, is more sophistication to kind of put an end to this rather than more bombs, you know, five more grenades. Who needs that? I mean, that's just uh, uncalled for. But, uh, Paul, I think you're, you, you might be onto something. I think there's a lot of unholy alliances amongst these groups. Um, and not much we can do except... Uh, support the team that's out there trying to eradicate them once and for all. So uh, thank you for your call. I appreciate it. And um, let me see. I don't think we have time to squeeze in another call because I'd like to give you enough time to really say everything you want to say. How much time, Tom? Uh, 45 seconds. Uh, So not enough time, but David from San Francisco, California, I will get to you uh, because I know you had a comment that you want to make. We're down to like 30 seconds right now. And uh, that wouldn't be fair to you. I want to make sure you have a chance. And, of course, I want to remind you before uh, the music kicks in that if you missed any of the interviews that we do on the show, feel free to go to our website, richvaldezamericaatnight.com, and listen to any one of the interviews we've done. You can listen on demand. You can download them. You can even subscribe to the podcast of the show. And uh, that's absolutely free, which you can share with your friends and uh, help them to stay informed on everything that's going on in America at night. Anyway, folks, we continue with your calls and more straight ahead. Don't move a muscle. I'm Rich Valdez. Mr. Call Screener, who is a budding radio star, by the way. Richie Valdez is terrific. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, so we know that college campuses across the country have so many problems. And uh, 
the proliferation of drugs is definitely one of them. I'm looking at just a couple of things, and it's not just college camps. They're all over. But um, listen, seven hours ago, right? Watch this. We've got the police department in, um, let's see, where was this? Charlotte, Charlotte, North Carolina. Xanax, fentanyl, MDMA, which is ecstasy, among drugs seized at um, a DWI arrest. Wow, how about that, right? Uh, somebody was driving while impaired earlier this week. Meshack Brown, 46 years old, was given a $2.5 million secured uh, bail bond and is facing multiple charges, which include a firearm by a felon, uh, possession of a firearm, trafficking, possession of illegal substances, etc. Police say they responded to a call for medical support when they found Brown passed out in his Ford F-150 with the vehicle in drive and his foot on the brake. Wow, lucky him. Listen to this little list of things they caught. 99 grams of uh, fentanyl and heroin. 22 grams of cocaine, crack form, 27 grams of powder cocaine, 74 grams of ecstasy, 95 grams of marijuana, 20 tablets of Zab, uh, Xanax, uh, which would be 80, 80 doses, because you could split them in four, $4,600 in cash, a 40 caliber pistol, 38 caliber pistol and some drug paraphernalia to go along with it. Now, if that wasn't enough, there's more. You've got thousands of Xanax pills that were stolen from a Tennessee um, medical uh, provider. And these stories go on and on and on. Everybody's always after these stories. And, Sometimes you got investigative journalists that are looking to to check out, you know, what's going on with uh, these small-time fraternities that are trafficking Xanax and whatnot, and they stumble upon other things, like homicide or something worse. And that is exactly what happened in this case, right? And there's a book on it. It's called Among the Bros, a fraternity crime story. Written by Max Marshall. Max Marshall, welcome to the program, sir. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. You bet. Hopefully, you had some coffee. It's late night, and uh, <laughs> yeah, some, <laughs> indeed, indeed. Some people uh, can't, no Xanax, uh, can't uh, cut it. Would, would right? Yeah, me. no Xanax here, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, exactly. Max Marshall, uh, I know that you're a, a journalist and the author of this book, and I want you to walk us through it a little bit because uh, apparently. The largest uh, college narcotic network ever discovered uh, was discovered in a fraternity. And I want you to explain a little bit about that. And really, if anything, just start with your your background on, on how you got into this, how you were looking into this small-time Xanax ring and found something entirely different. Max Marshall. Sure. So I was in a college fraternity at the same time as all the guys in this book. So from 2012 to 2016. And when I was in college, I saw, I would say a pretty shocking, at least shocking to me, amount of Xanax flying around Greek life. Um, I had friends who were using, I had friends who were dealing. And I even saw some people uh, making their own Xanax pills. 
And so when I got out of college and became a investigative journalist, I had a few questions. One, you know, why is Xanax sort of an it drug for my generation? You know, you sort of think of, uh, and this is obviously speaking in sort of cliches, but 60s, you think of acid or weed, you know, uh, 80s, you might be thinking of cocaine. But the idea of a a major party drug being an anti-anxiety tranquilizer that was made for panic attacks, you know, that's kind of surprising. And then the other sort of simpler, just more material question is where are all these drugs coming from? Because they weren't coming from from Pfizer, from CVS. These were like chalky, fake Xanax tablets um, Mm. that would show up at kids' dorms rooms, you know, and basically unmarked USPS boxes or... Uh, you know, kids were making them themselves. And so I guess as some journalists do, I, I literally Googled Xanax bust fraternity um, to kind of see what other stories were out there. Right. And I found a story at the College of Charleston about a group of KAs and SAEs who had been part of this, you know, what seemed like a small time drug organization. They got caught with a dozen pounds of weed, a few pounds of cocaine, an assault rifle with a grenade launcher and 44,000 Xanax pills. Sounds Um, pretty small time, right? (laughs) Yeah. yeah, Grenade launchers and 44,000 pills. Exactly. Well, well, the funny thing is, uh, you know, it's very easy to buy a grenade launcher. It's very hard to buy a grenade. And so I think, you know, they might've just had the launcher, but all that's Uh, to say is I was doing, I was doing the reporting and, you know, in one of the early interviews, a defense lawyer, sort of let it slip that actually these guys hadn't been caught with 44,000 pills. They've been caught with about three and a half million pills, um, which as you said, you know, one pill is four dosage units. So you're talking about a lot of Xanax, um, really millions and millions of dollars on the street. And as you alluded to, then I found out that a student had been murdered and they found his body surrounded by all these fake Xanax pills. And that's how the FBI and, and DEA got involved. And then uh, I also learned that at the end of this, only one boy ended up really doing substantial prison time. Uh, one of the fraternities that was involved got kicked off campus for four years and then came back, and the other never left at all. So there really weren't very many consequences. And so, yeah, that's kind of what uh, pulled me into this riptide that has been the last, what, four, four years of my life. All right, folks, we're on with Max Marshall. Uh, journalist and author of Among the Bros, a fraternity crime story. And when we come back, we're going to continue to pull on this thread to find out about this. uh, Where did this proliferation of counterfeit Xanax pills come from? And when did college campuses become breeding grounds for this, you know, um, drug of choice uh, with Xanax just taking prominence uh, in particular at that time uh, about four or five years back? So uh, we're going to continue our discussion with Max Marshall straight ahead. Of course, if you have a question, a comment, you want to join the program, 833-482-5337 is the phone number, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. I'm so glad to be. 
be on your show, Rich. It's just an amazing broadcast that I hope the rest of America listens to every day. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, amigos, welcome back, familia. We continue our story with Max Marshall. Uh, he is the uh, journalist and author of Among the Bros, a fraternity crime story. And Max Marshall, I want to pick up where you left off, where um, all of this uh, criminality on campus had led to the death of a student. And uh, surrounding the death of the student, there is um, millions of, of doses of, of fentanyl, I mean, not of fentanyl, of, of Xanax, um, uh, an assault rifle and all sorts of other, you know, um, nefarious um, criminal um, props, if you will, that are necessary to facilitate this whole enterprise. But before you pick up where you left off, uh, and, and this is right where it starts to get very interesting, I'm just really curious, how do they make their own fentanyl or I mean their own Xanax? Is, are they using fentanyl to make it or how does that process work? Sure. So, yeah, the, one of the biggest, probably the biggest change to college drug dealing this century is the advent of the dark web. So before the dark web, if anyone wanted to deal drugs on a college campus, they basically had to, you know, connect it to a criminal supply chain, which meant finding someone linked to a, a gang or, you know, basically joining the supply network of a cartel ultimately. Right. Um, and that, you know, is every parent's nightmare, like going to the other side of town and, you know, having to, you know, drive around and find a, a plug is the word. Um, but with the dark web, which I don't know how much you know about the, the dark web, but, you know, it's a, basically an encrypted browser that makes it impossible for the authorities to know um, where, who you are or where you are. Um, there's basically these black market Amazon sort of websites where you can sort of get anything shipped to your door without leaving the safety of campus Wi-Fi. And so what these students were doing is they were ordering black market alprazolam powder, that's the active ingredient for Xanax, from labs in southern China. Um, they would get shipped from China through Canada. A guy in Montreal would smuggle um, the powder in printer cartridges and then the printer cartridges would get shipped down to Charleston, South Carolina, where these guys would rent beach houses, a different beach house every month. And they had an industrial pill press, the same stuff that makes, uh, you know, pills for, you know, the kind you get CVS. And um, they could make hundreds of thousands of pills a month using these, these pill presses. And then they would heat seal these pills and, you know, candy wrappers and all sorts of things and either ship it again using the dark web all over the U.S., you know, to the West Coast or the Midwest. But if it was going in the South, they used the fraternity system, and these fraternity pledges would basically drive um, the pills to campuses all over the South, to these big fraternities where you might be able to sell hundreds, if not thousands, in, in one go. Wow. Okay. So they, in effect, uh, had like an actual uh, enterprise going on here not just a drug enterprise, but an actual pill manufacturing enterprise, which is just mind-blowing to think that Definitely. college kids you, are doing this. Yeah, I mean, the... it is. And, and you know, it, if anything, it was sort of multiple enterprises going at once. You know, people would compare it to Mary Kay or Cutco or Herbalife for sort of a multi-level marketing sort of scheme where there are all sorts of kind of people doing this all at once 
and there was just sort of competition for pricing or competition for supply, but it was not even one centralized ring. You know, there were multiple kind of groups who had these pill presses and all sorts of people who were using the dark web. Wow, unbelievable. Uh, I want to pause right here real quick and then pick up where we left off before uh, with, um, you know, they find this body, they, they connect it to all these other things and, and where the rest of the story goes. Folks, we're on with Max Marshall, journalist and author of Among the Bros, a fraternity crime story. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. And he's breaking it down. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. We continue our discussion of what's going on on college campuses across the country with the investigative journalist that was trying to find out what was going on with a small fentanyl ring. Uh, Excuse me, Xanax. I keep saying that because fentanyl is the new um, drug of choice for everything lately. Uh, But a a Xanax uh, ring that ends up becoming uh, the largest college narcotic network ever discovered um, right in the middle of Greek life. And that's where this uh, drug ring uh, trafficked uh, Xanax that they fabricated with ingredients from the dark web at the College of Charleston and to campuses all over the Deep South using their own pill presses. They made millions of Xanax tablets, distributed them using uh, fraternity pledges as mules and laundered money through the chapter slush fund. I mean, just a fascinating story. And then somebody gets killed. Max Marshall, take it from there. So yeah, on the this drug ring really grew from about 2012 to 2016. Started pretty small time, you know, sort of dealing weed, um, and then, like you said, by the end, really millions of pills, cocaine, acid, ketamine, sort of you name it. And the drug ring sort of grew and grew. More pills, more money, more fraternity houses involved. And then on the first Friday of spring break 2016, a, uh, a student named Patrick Moffley was found murdered a block from the College of Charleston campus in his house. And when the police got there, he was holding a Chipotle napkin to a bullet wound in his chest. And around his body were hundreds of these counterfeit Xanax pills. And Patrick kind of came from a prominent family in the South Carolina low country. His dad was a big real estate developer. His mom had run for Congress and was on the school board. And so all of a sudden, there's this sort of question of, you know, why are all these campus policemen with their golf carts and flashlights, what have they missed here? And how, how is this student, you know, where, where are all these fake Xanax pills coming from? And in, in the student's house, they found a, a lease agreement to a stash house. So it turned out this, that Patrick and his housemates were very involved in this drug ring. And the next thing you know, the DEA got involved, the FBI, the Postal Service 
something I learned while investigating this book. A DEA agent told me that the U.S. Postal Service is the biggest drug trafficker in the world. Um, more drugs move wow. every day just through the, the post, postal system. And, it, you know, for a few reasons. One, uh, it, it's just such a massive system that, you know, they really can't hope to, to search anywhere near everything that goes through the mail. Second, a few drug dealers themselves have told me that because it's a felony to search someone else's mail, they feel pretty safe sending it out, knowing that, you know, a rival won't go through it because it's a big risk. Um, and then also, you know, it's just such an overburdened, underfunded system that, yeah, they don't have kind of the time to search the mail. But, yeah, really just millions and millions of dollars worth of drugs every day moving through the, the post, postal system. But the Postal Service also got involved in this investigation. And by the end, all these fraternity guys started wearing wires on each other. And basically there was this, you know, domino one after the other, kind of everyone uh, flipping on each other and, and cooperating with the police. Unbelievable. So the um, ultimately it, it, this whole thing came down because they killed the student. Did we ever find out why they killed the student? Yeah, so the working theory from the police uh, is a drug robbery gone wrong. Uh, Patrick had a broken arm. He had broken it skateboarding the day before, and he had 10,000 Xanax pills. And so uh, the sort of thought is that these three gunmen sort of came to his house hoping just to rob him, thinking he wouldn't fight back with a broken arm. But then he himself was on Xanax and cocaine and a few other things and uh, was in the state of mind where he thought he could fight back and then was, you know, tragically killed. Um, but then, of course, you know, it being a murder of a, a young man and uh, involved in a drug network, there are all sorts of sort of more conspiratorial theories about uh, it being a hit and him, you know, himself, he was under police investigation and was about to go to trial. And, you know, and there, there are as many theories as there are people involved in the case and the, and the book gets into to a few of them. But um, all that's to say is they, they don't even know who pulled the trigger. Um, ultimately, the the getaway driver was arrested, um, but the the trigger man has never been found. Unbelievable! Now let everybody know how they can get a copy of the book. Sure. So I mean, it's available. You know, as they say, wherever books are sold, uh, you can get the audiobook on Audible or Spotify. You can get it online through Amazon or Barnes and Noble, and it, it, you know it's also at a lot of indie bookstores. So wherever you are, maybe start with the indie bookstore, and then if it's not there, it's it's certainly available um, online as well. And Max Marshall, let everybody know uh, who might be interested in following your work or subscribing to any other additional um, pieces that you might put out there. Um, how do they follow you? Uh, is there a website or a social media account? Yeah, just go to my website, max-marshall.com, and my email's on there. And, yeah, I always love to hear from readers, so feel free to reach out. Outstanding. Well, thank you, brother, for, for giving us some insight into the book. Uh, good luck with it. I hope uh, it's a huge success. And, folks, um, I want to thank Max Marshall for being here. Now, we're going to continue our conversations on everything we discussed in Open Phone America. That's coming up right now at the top of the hour, 833 833- Four eight two five three three seven eight three three four Valdez.
Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Welcome to the program Friday night and uh, hour number three. If you want to join our late-night national town hall conversation, feel free. Here's the number, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And, uh, of course, there's lots of um, shenanigans going on in Washington, but the one I want to bring your attention to tonight uh, this broke a couple of hours back. Uh, listen to this headline. Democrat Senate staffer caught filming gay sex tape inside of Senate hearing room. Yeah, that happened. Uh, here are the details on that. I think this is pretty crazy. Uh, I mean, you know, there's an old saying, you don't blank or you eat, right? And you don't do stuff like that at work is what that means. Uh, Senate staffer caught making hardcore porn in Capitol office building. A uh, Democrat senator has been identified. Uh, Democrat Senator Ben Cardin is going to have some explaining to do after one of his staffers was caught um, making hardcore gay pornography inside the Capitol complex. The news was uh, broken by an anonymous writer who goes by the pseudonym Cockburn uh, over at The Spectator who shared the tale in rather poetic terms. The story also identified the Senate office involved as belonging to Cardin. Um, The uh, so-called hallowed halls of Congress play host to a plethora of indecent acts every day, but one staffer for Senator Ben Cardin is taking it to new levels. The public Twitter account for the audacious-looking young man is comprised uh, almost solely of him in... uh, flagrant delicto or with his older bear partner. I don't know what all these words mean, but uh, this is a a quote from the uh, article in The Spectator. The images and videos are explicit and conspicuously and deliberately contain the staffer's face. In one photo in particular shared privately with uh, the uh, pseudonym, uh, the anonymous writer Cockburn, the... uh, raised eyebrow is um, emphasized here and it appears to be taken in a conference uh, conference room excuse me in the Hart Senate office building where his boss's office is located Uh, shortly after uh, that report one of the videos posted by the staffer was found and published by a conservative news outlet it showed a nearly naked man on all fours inside of the Capitol office building with a well-placed capital dome over his genitalia. The video wasn't just nude posing either. The male staffer and his partner filmed themselves having intercourse inside a congressional meeting room. I think some members of Congress won't be very happy with the news. (laughs) According to Mr. Cockburn's original write-up, 
the male staffer and his uh, male partner, who is described as an older man, going by the term bear, have been using Twitter as their personal porn venue for quite some time. <clears throat> and this is an exclusive uh, that came uh, from from uh, the uh, spectator. Um, now it's being reported in other places. I'm reading it from redstate.com. And uh, again, that's the, the big story there. Um, they were making adult film inside of a Senate office. Can't make it up, folks. Can't make it up. Yet they want to go ahead and say that Donald Trump is is the big bad guy. Donald Trump is uh, the big deal. Anyway, let's um, let's go to your uh, calls. Uh, David, patiently waiting, San Francisco, California, uh, listening to America at Night uh, via our streaming website, Rich Valdez, America at Night dot com. David, what do you think about this uh, adult film that was um, recorded in uh, in Senator Cardin's office. Oh, it's funny. Uh, what did you say? The the uh, magazine, was it called The Voyeur, that uh, put this out? The Spectator. Oh, yeah, The Spectator. Oh, so they like to watch. Um, you know, the reason I called uh, the... Well, first, answer the question. What, what, what do you think about this? Uh, well, uh, have you ever been to the St. Stupid's Day Parade here in San Francisco? All right, David, you're getting on my nerves. I've asked you the question twice, and you're not answering it. Let's make it count. You've been on hold for a while. Yeah, and you don't want me to ask my original question. I'll let you talk about that once you answer my question. Yeah, like Rich, you'll do anything to censor, right? You're a liar every time you're a liar. What have I lied about, David? 15 hours a week, you lie and lie and lie. Give me the first lie. We'll take them one by one. What have I lied about tonight? Oh, well, let's see. Uh, you, I, you had your first guest on uh, who was the, uh, is supposed to have the facts, the whole facts. Uh, tell us all the facts. And uh, so I wanted to ask him. What, he what was the lie? Uh, I wanted to ask him what he knew about Roy Cohn, Donald Trump and Roy Cohn. David, you said that I am a liar. I'm asking you where my lie is, and you're telling me about Roy Cohn and the guy from Just Facts. Yeah, and uh, Just Facts didn't provide any facts. Uh, He was just a front man for your liars. Uh, So (laughs) I would love to ask him. I'd love to ask you, what is the lie that I have told this evening? One lie. Well, your whole interview was a lie. Forget Uh, the whole interview. Pick one part of the interview. Uh, it's all a dream of, of smears. And, and, uh, I, at this moment, I couldn't think of a single one. Of course you couldn't because you're full of crap, David. You're full of crap. You're filled with hatred. You call here just to try to give me a hard time, and then you get a shot at giving me a hard time, and you don't even get to give me a hard time because you can't even support your own shenanigans. I got to tell you, it, it, it's, it's fun to talk to guys like you, but at the end of the day, it's really sad because all you want to do is take shots. Like, I take shots at Biden all day, but I've got all the numbers in the world to prove it, and so do the polls, right? I'm not alone in my critique of Biden. Uh, it's not a lie. It's an opinion and an opinion based on the facts. The numbers are there to back it up. You call, you say I'm a liar. You say this. You, you're very circuitous in your commentary. 
You don't want to jump from one thing to the next without answering any questions, no accountability. Um, you, you can't call people a liar and, and think that they're not going to call you out on it when you have no way of backing it up. Anyway, thanks, David. I appreciate it. Hasta la próxima. Until the next time. Anyway, folks, we will continue with your calls and more. Uh, if you want to disagree with me and call me a liar, feel free to call. But you better have your ducks in a row. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. Let's go to Luciferno calling from Mound City, Missouri, listening on KMA. Go right ahead, Luciferno. Hi, Rich. I just I want to cheer you up, and I also want to congratulate you how you handled that last dude. Um, oh, this tribute is for you. This song was written before you were born from the late, great Jerry Lee Lewis. Oh, I think you'll get it. Great balls of fire. Very kind of you uh, to say that. And, you know, honestly, I, I don't like to lose my cool with any of the callers. Uh, but every now and again, it's just, you know, they, they, they try to, to, to play a game with you. You know, it's, it's a little I game understand. that they play. And, I and totally it's understand. never honest. And I wish I it was. I understand. <laughs> right? You keep rocking like, them, okay? It's kind of it's like when you go and you argue with your friends about politics and they just start doing it. It's like, ah, it's frustrating. But thank you, Lucy. I appreciate it. If I don't speak to you again, have a great Christmas. And uh, we will continue with the rest of your calls. Let's go to Steve, Atlanta, Georgia, WGKA. Steve, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Hey, Rich. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. What's um, on your mind, Brian? I think I think Lucy. I think Lucy wants to marry you. Ah, oh, join the club, and, Lucy. Join and the you club. know what? If if you were a, a really, really, really good-looking female, um, I'd marry you too. Oh. <laughs> you know, so thanks, Steve. That. I appreciate that. <laughs> now, what's what's I on wanna, your mind tonight? And, and, and oh, by the way, I mean, before I ask my question, I I, I want to say this. You don't have to mention that you're brown. I'd listen to you anyway. Yeah, well, I don't because typically I, mention it. You know, it's, hell, a, it's a female you, announcer so. that does it, and I think she does it tongue-in-cheek. <laughs> yeah, you let her do it, though. Yeah. All right, well, I wish you, the, your guest uh, before who uh, talked about that drug thing, who wrote that book, and um, so, 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 so he's not going to be able to answer the question, but, you know, you, please do. Okay? Sure. Um, what if... What if, or would you support a bill in Congress that um, that uh, required a of a mandatory or an optional death sentence? I guess 
depending on which state it was, if you had over 500 fentanyl pills that you were transporting, that you are a, a you were convicted of dealing in, um, would you support the death sentence? And my opinion is, before you say yours, my opinion is, if if you had over 500 and you're convicted, then you've already killed at least one person, and so you should be eligible for the death sentence. That should be on, in my opinion. And so I wanted to know what your opinion was. I would have loved to have heard the other guy's opinion. All right. Okay. Well, go. Steve, here here it goes. So I, I believe that if you if you're in a state that has death penalty, uh, capital punishment, then I think it's appropriate to use capital punishment where it's commensurate. For example, uh, if you if you've already killed someone, right? If you killed John Smith, then uh, I think it's only fair that you be con- uh, considered uh, for the death penalty. Now, let's say I have uh, a bunch of guns with me, and these guns could potentially kill people, but um, they haven't killed anyone. Uh, should I get the death penalty for having these guns that could potentially kill people? No, of course not. Uh, the same way if I have fentanyl or, or, or any other drug. Uh, if the drug hasn't done its job of killing you via overdose, uh, then I would say no. I mean, people need due process, and we have to go through things. Would I support making rules stricter and charging people with terrorism and uh, other things? Yeah, absolutely. Why not? Whatever we can do to curtail the um, the distribution, the proliferation of of fentanyl and other illicit drugs that are hurting people, absolutely. But uh, I think we have to stay within the, 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 the confines of due process and our Sixth Amendment so that we, you know, we, we have a set of rules that we live by and that we follow. Because otherwise, things can get a little um, out of hand. They can, they can take, uh, you know, it can, it, can be, it can get sloppy very quickly. But um, that's my thought on that, Steve. Thank you, brother. I appreciate the call. Big shout-out to the ATL in Georgia, um, WGKA. Uh, let's continue. Let's go to Allison, Portland, Maine, WLOB. Allison, go right ahead. Oh, hi. Yeah, I've been trying to, I want to talk about this a bit. Um, you know, I, I just, I know what was done by Hamas and to Israel on October 7th was horrible. But what's being done by Israel to the Palestinians over the past two, over two months is, is just unbelievable. It's just, you know, it's going on 18,000 or more people killed, a lot, most of them civilians, a lot of them children. And women, and this just raise raise everything, destroy everything, looking for the criminals. It just, it just, it just, it can't be tolerated. It just, I think, you know, if, if it were any other country than Israel or most countries, I don't think it would be tolerated. Um, you know, and and I just, I can't stand it. I, I listen to the World Service on BBC and 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 listen to the doctors working there and the the, the aid people. There's been over well over 100 aid people from the UN and things people killed even, and. It, there, there just has to be some solution. They just can't be allowed to, because something horrible happened to them. They can just wipe out everybody on the way to the to their actual terrorists. I, I just, it's making me ill. It's just I can't stand it. I'm sorry. You know, I just wanted to try to say something. Yeah, listen, I, I I understand what you're saying, and and I I feel badly for anybody that's being killed. Honestly, I don't know that there is a solution. I I just don't know that there is one. I, I think that the Israelis are. Uh, a, a lean, mean fighting machine that weren't looking to get into a war, uh, but found one and 
probably the last people I want to get into a fight with is those guys um, or the Americans. And and, and that, that seems to be what happened. And it's it's kind of like, how do you put the toothpaste back in the tube at this point? I don't know. How do you how do you stop Netanyahu? I don't know. Um, do you stop him? I mean, there is I think their goal is clear, which is we've got to get Hamas. But I, I, I see your point, And it's a real one. Right. Um, even today, they they admitted their IDF spokesperson said that they killed three people uh, hostages trying to liberate hostages. It was an accident, friendly fire, whatever, but it happened. And these, um, I, it's easy for me to say these are the things that happen in war. It's collateral damage. Um, I'm not in a war. So I, I get what you're saying. And uh, anybody with a good heart is going to want the killing to end, both on the, the Israeli side and on the side of Gaza. So I'm not mad at you for feeling the way you do. I just don't know that there is a solution right now. I think that this is a, a problem that was was created by Hamas, and they are paying the price uh, several times over, and uh, innocent people are p- paying uh, paying the price because of where Hamas um, does what they do. They put their rocket launching locations, uh, their their whatever pseudo bases, if you will in hospitals and synagogues and schools and and they hide behind civilian cover as a way to do what they do and this puts those people directly into harm's way and again i have to say the israelis announced that they're they're coming in and they're going to raise everything and they're coming after the bad guys yet Hamas has all of the um, ability to fire rockets, to go and kidnap people, to do all these things, but they don't have the capability to get people out, to work with Egypt and say, hey, open up the border and let them out so we can fight this fight, just the men that are here and let the women and children out. What has Hamas done to save a single life there? This is the issue that I have. Anyway, thank you for your call, Allison. I really appreciate it. Um, I'm with you in uh, feeling badly about what's going on in the Middle East. Folks, more to come straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. All right, America, welcome back. And the uh, autopsy results are back for the star of the hit sitcom Friends, Matthew Perry, also known as Chandler Bing. Uh, He uh, unfortunately passed away. And they're saying that it was the acute effects of ketamine. The acute effects of ketamine. Now, I remember I first heard about ketamine in high school, and um, the people I knew in high school said that this stuff was a horse tranquilizer. I'm guessing like 
just like everything else, like ivermectin and other things, you, you can give it to animals as well. I don't think it was invented for them, but I don't know. You know, I, I know nothing about it. If you're a, an expert in this field, give us a call. But Matthew Perry died due to the acute effects of ketamine, according to the Los Angeles County Department uh, of Medical Examiners. And in a statement, the medical examiner's office added that the manner of his death was an accident and that the contributing factors included drowning, coronary artery, uh, artery disease, and the effects of, let's see, buprenorphine. I don't know buprenorphine. Buprenorphine. Hmm. I don't know that one. Uh, Perry died at his home in uh, Pacific Palisades. Now, this autopsy was done uh, a day after he died. He had a history of drug use, but was reportedly clean for 19 months. The report described him as a tobacco user for many years, but currently not smoking and on ketamine infusion therapy with uh, most recent uh, therapy reportedly one and a half weeks before death. Perry was reportedly receiving ketamine infusion therapy for depression and anxiety. The report uh, categorized ketamine as uh, a disassociative anesthetic and mentioned that around 3,540 uh, nanograms per liter was found in his system while noting the levels for the general anesthesia are typically in the 1,000 to 6,000 range. So he was in that range uh, about halfway through it. <clears throat> anyway, ketamine's uh, defined as an anesthetic with some hallucinogenic effect by the U.S. Um, DEA. The medication alters the perception of sight and sound that makes users feel kind of devoid from pain and out of control from their surroundings. Ketamine can induce a state of sedation, feeling calm and relaxed, immobility, relief from pain and amnesia, uh, no memory of events while under the influence of the drug. That's crazy. Uh, who'd want to be on a drug where you forget everything that happened? That's kind of nuts. <clears throat> and is abused for the uh, dissociative sensations and hallucinogenic effects, said uh, the individual from the DEA. Ketamine has also been used to facilitate sexual assault. The uh, approved medical product is used uh, in injectable form, and they use it in people as well as animals and as a nasal spray for treatment of resistant depression. Now, what's interesting is that during the break, I was telling the guys in the control room that I constantly see these ads for a nasal spray with ketamine in it. And I thought to myself, I thought that stuff was used to knock out horses, uh, but apparently people are using it in nasal spray. Uh, I don't know if I'd recommend that. I think that's a good idea. We just saw Matthew Perry die from that. Why on earth would you, you know, shoot that up your nose? Uh, beats the heck out of me. But that's what's going on. And uh, the way this thing works is the nasal spray um, or or the um, pill, I guess. The, the, pe the point of it was to treat depression with uh, suicidal ideation and... Their hope was that this would work, but I don't know if it did. Now, Dr. William, uh, Dr. Nolan Williams, he's assistant professor uh, at Stanford University, Department of Psychiatry. He told USA Today about a year ago that ketamine's effects on mood are not entirely clear due to many mechanisms happening 
at the same time. Ketamine targets a neurotransmitter, uh, excuse me, <laughs> late on a Friday, neurotransmitter called uh, glutamate as opposed to dopamine or serotonin. Glutamate promotes the brain's ability to form lasting and new lifestyle patterns. Um, yeah, I think that's the the neurotransmitter that's affected by those weight loss drugs like uh, semaglutide and the rest of them. Anyway, ketamine is often stigmatized as a party drug, uh, has a negative perception, and is known on the street as Special K. However, psychiatrists have said that ketamine can be a life-changing solution in a controlled medical setting for those that are unresponsive to conventional medications. Back in 2000, a big study showed that the uh, the drug's antidepressant and anti-suicidal effects were uh, prominent. And more recent studies showed uh, to support the same, that ketamine's high rate of success in treating depression. So seems like that's a good thing, um, according to them. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not recommending ketamine. I haven't tried it. I'm not going to say go out and get yourself some ketamine. The whole thing looks a little uh, crazy to me. But that's what killed Matthew Perry. And I want to get your thoughts and opinions on this stuff because, you know, I'm interested in that. Let's go to Jane, Saratoga, New York, uh, WGDJ. Go right ahead. Hey, Rich. That isn't why I called, but, yeah, ketamine, um, it it can put you into, like, a zombie state and um, sort of keep you kind of level where you can't go up or down. Ah, and then when, it'll, when it starts to pull out of your system, that's when the stuff can be really bad because then you ah. tend to want to take more and more and more. And it's it's not, in my opinion, not a good thing. Not not a good understood, drug Jane. Now uh, I know no. you wanted to uh, make a comment about something else. Go right ahead. Yes, uh, we spoke last night about men being responsible for many things in this world, and we talked to you very well. You spoke about men up on light poles and stuff like that, doing all that really hard work. And you know what we forgot. Mm. The one main thing we forgot to mention was you. And you come here every single night for as a hero of all of us night owls who predominantly have right wings, as you know, and brains, most of us, and, uh, and Tom. You guys are the best out there. You really are. And uh, you cover subjects perfectly. You know how to nail people to the wall, which is really good, and wow. uh, and you do it very well. So, and I I want to thank you because well, thank cause you, Jane. You're just you're the best out there, kid. I appreciate it, and let me tell you, I'm blushing right now. Um, it's it's really nice. It's very kind of you to say, and I do appreciate it. And uh, the honestly, and and I am a pretty self centered person. It's why you know I, I succeed in radio. Uh, you have to be a little full of yourself to to make it work here. But uh, in, in reality, it also comes with a, with a very healthy dose of humility uh, because it's such a competitive industry. And, um, you know, sometimes, you know, you're, you're, you're grinding. You don't know what you're fighting for sometimes. <laughs> you just keep going. And uh, I'm glad that um, it's working, right? I'm glad there's people out there that appreciate the program as we continue to grow. So it's very kind of you. Thank you so much. I hope to speak to you again. Uh, before we take our Christmas break. But if I don't, uh, Godspeed to you. Have a great Christmas. And, folks, we get to the rest of your calls and more straight ahead. Don't move a muscle. This is America at Night. 
with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDES-VALDES-VALDES-VALDES-VALDES-VALDES-VALDES-VALDES-VALDES-VALDES-VALDES-VALDES-VALDES-VALDES-VALDES-VALDES-VALDES-VALDES-VALDES-V
in our laws that are anti-material support, it's about the ideology. So you mentioned Iran, but if you really narrow it down, the Hajj is not directed there. It's directed in Saudi Arabia. So that's the key hive. That's the custodian. Right. Um, so the leader of Hamas, the lower central guy that's been in Qatar, the Israel acknowledged his presence there, but they decided in the news, they said, uh, I'm out of breath. They said that uh, they were not going to go after him because of obvious implementation international implications right can't start a war with Qatar even bigger uproar right so then he got shuttled over to uh, Turkey and he's been there periodically Uh, but you know he can't go there without the US Air Force approving him landing because of the air bases there yeah listen I I, I'm with you Um, uh, at least what I'm gathering what you're saying I would love to go after Iran. I would love to go after the the, the big money guys, uh, Hamas big money guys that are in uh, Qatar. I, I would love all that because uh, you got to cut off the, the the cash supply and see how they start to fold. That's ultimately, I think, the way to do it. You could strengthen your own position once you you've cut off the other one. Uh, however, I don't think that's actually what's happening and what's ever going to happen. Um, I think they're always going to stick with what's easiest for them and, you know, and go with the flow that way. So I think these guys are doing what they've got to do. I think they're realizing we we have to take out as much of of the infrastructure that they've laid uh, as possible to make sure that they can't continue to attack. They can't survive to to be out and um, out and about trying to get these guys. I don't know if they're going to succeed. I, I would suspect that Israel will eventually succeed and in, you know, redoing all of it, you know, just kind of eliminating so much of of uh, of what we know today as Gaza or whatever. I think a lot of that's going to go away. Just my thoughts, uh, Rob. I don't know if uh, if I'm right or wrong. Uh, hello. Yeah. Are, are you, you there? there? I'm here. Yeah, I was on mute or something, and I didn't think you were hearing me. Okay, so the problem is we're the remnant, the Christian remnant, and that land is ours also. And I don't appreciate the Republicans and the Democrats trying to negotiate away our land. And this two-state solution is dead. So the problem is if they would just talk to the king and tell him to get his terrorists out of there, that's the way to do it. But instead, they're shedding the blood of the innocent. And so now God is going to be forced to intervene. It's not a yeah. good time. Well, listen, I, I, I'm hoping God intervenes in every war because um, I don't want to see people dying on any side. Right. I would love for there to legitimately be peace in the Middle East and everywhere else. I think peace is important for all of us. Um, lamentably, the, these these um, power struggles always come down to fighting. And, and that's where they are. I got to take a pause here. But Rob and Mitchell, South Dakota, thank you for your thoughts. I appreciate it. Uh, big shout out to everybody on K-O-R-N. And we continue with your calls in the speed round straight ahead. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
All right, folks, it's the speed round. That means they're kicking me out of here pretty soon. Let's go to Clint calling us from, let's see, uh, is that Ellie or Eli Nevada on KRVN? Ely, Nevada, yes. Ely, all right. Go for it, brother. Yeah. Thanks for taking my call. Hey, I was curious. Do you feel that firearms have an independent, sinister will of their own to kill people? No, no, not not today. Not yesterday either. It seemed like you were making that argument earlier in the hour that, you know, if you had a bunch of guns, none of them had killed anyone yet. I think right. Well, no, that was I was said. making the exact opposite argument, right? Because the question that was posed to me was the uh, if the fentanyl, uh, if you if you're caught with a ton of fentanyl, should you be given the death penalty? And so, in a tongue-in-cheek manner, I said, "Well, that would be like me saying I'm traveling with a bunch of guns and they haven't killed anybody yet, so therefore I should be um, charged with murder because I'm simply carrying or transporting firearms." Obviously, guns don't kill people. People kill people. Just like uh, the fentanyl um, doesn't kill people, people overdose. So um, if you have an overdose uh, and you want to charge that, then I guess you can go that route. But I don't think you could just say by having fentanyl or having Xanax or having any of those drugs that you're somehow guilty of taking a life. Well, that's. I'm glad you clarified that. I just wanted to make that point that you know firearms are just a tool, and if, sure. if we were going to make that, that's the that's what Alec Baldwin tried to say was, gee whiz, I was just holding it and and uh, it went off. You know, I didn't have anything <laughs> to do with that, which is a ridiculous argument. I mean, it, any tool can be misused. So sure, you know, yeah. Look at all those hammer attacks, just, or even the knife attacks that we see. Um, all over uh, England and whatnot. They're all over the place. But Clinton, Ely, uh, Nevada, KRVN, thank you for the call. Feel free to call back anytime. Um, let's go to Carter with seconds to go. Staples, Minnesota, KOKS, go right ahead. Good evening, Rich. I, I just wanted to sum up the evening with my own uh, melancholy here. As the news changes day to day, 5,860 illegal aliens are coming into the country every day you're right five thousand six hundred it's like ten thousand a day carter i think you're spot on folks i want to thank you paul frank sarah rod everybody that's on hold i couldn't get to hasta la proxima until the next time i want to thank you for your calls take care good night and god bless america i am rich valdez we'll do it again on monday John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.